Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm a jumble of words. Like Brian would be Brian would be appalled. <laughs> like like my phone charging cord and the Zoom cord and the mic cord somehow seem to have gotten all t- tethered together. Um, thank God Brian's not here right now. Otherwise, he would be like, what the actual fuck is going on? Now, that that Brian guy, you can say a lot of things about him, you know? And one of them is, sounds like I'm going to make an insult. You can say a lot of good things about him, but I'll tell mm-hmm. you what. Another good thing is he's great with chords. He's great with chords that way. He wraps chords in a way that a professional wraps them. I do a jumble like you. I'm a jumble. Yeah. He, well, he is a professional chord rapper if you think about it. But like, it's like they taught him like when he was first in school to be a sound engineer. And then like I try and do it. I'm like, look, look, babe, I did. I did that chord. And he's like, no, he's like, no, 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 no. That's no. great. He like pats me on the head. <laughs> nice Undermine try. me, son of a bitch. Oh, my God. Well, you know, here we are. It's Sidework Podcast. This is our 200th episode I'm your host, Andrea Wallace. Um, I'm your host for the 200th time, Brooke Van Poplin. <laughs> Confetti sprays. We, wow. We did it. We did Congratulations, it. babe. Congratulations to you. Showing up for each other and everybody else who's been listening to this pod for 200 episodes. Yeah, That's a lot of hours. Mm-hmm. It's I, I am really like, like when I look at, stick to right? This has been the most consistent thing in my life since I've lived in LA. Um, and I appreciate it, you know, because uh, mm-hmm. the jobs, the relationships, the living situations, those have all been wild and, uh, you know, been lots of up and ups and downs, but it's been going on five years. We're entering wow. year five. That's crazy. We started in November, 2018 folks. God. And I just did the math. Um, you know, the, the podcast math, I'll call it, you know, uh, sticking mm-hmm. with the trends. If you were to, on average saying uh, every episode we did is about an hour in the early days, we definitely went over, Way over you know? Yeah. Um, but if we're saying every episode is about an hour, you guys could listen to us consecutively for over eight days straight. Oh. If you were to start at the beginning <laughs> and roll all the way through, that's just over a week, you know? You could spill a whole week with nothing but our voices nonstop. Wow. I wow. know. But I mean, to be fair, it's it's hard for me to picture us being those people, you know, in other people's lives. But we are. I will take the compliment. Uh-huh. We uh-huh. are with people on their commute to work, on a road trip or, you know, for me, my podcast uh, listening habits involve like I love cleaning with my headphones oh, on and yes. taking down podcasts in 
that feeling of family. Um, I, I hope we feel that way to some of you because I know how much I am comforted by my favorite podcast hosts, you know. I agree. I agree for sure. Well, road trip. Road trip. Uh, Halloween just happened. Boy, oh I boy. I know. Talking about that, Brian, I saw that you guys were mm-hmm. twinning. Twinning once again. Twinning and winning. Yes. Yes, we went as the Grady twins. We went as the Shining twins. Uh, it went quite well. Um, it was a super fun night. I my haunches were quite sore for a couple of days from slaying on the dance floor all night, <laughs> and I kind of overdid it on mushrooms and accidentally tripped balls. So that's oh. fun. Yeah, God. yeah. I was fine. It wasn't bad. It was fine. But at one point, I was like, "Oh, I got a new kind of chocolate," and then like it's not what I was used to always having anyway cut and it's also halloween and you know how hard i like to go on halloween brook <laughs> yes oh i've seen oh i've been there and that's just it i was like fuck it it's halloween i go hard the end you know um but it was a great 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 time um there was definitely a moment on the dance floor where like closer by nine inch nails came on and like everybody in the whole party was like yelling, I want to fuck you like an animal. And I was like, this is a top moment of 2023 for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's, yeah, maybe the only good thing about this stupid year. Um, Yeah, well, I don't know. Right now, having a 200th episode is also a very top moment for me. Yes. Okay. All right. Keep it positive, Van Poplin. I'm slightly concussed. All right, everybody. And it it wasn't from having fun at a Halloween party. It was from slipping on my kitchen runner that didn't have the uh, the grippy mat underneath it. And uh, yeah, horrible. I I, horrible. I I face fucked the oven door. Um, uh, just having I'm a little, okay. just having a little cute time with the bee friend that turned turned a foul. Real quick, like, I oh. I wish we were about to like hump or have sex on the sink, but I think we were tickling each other like no, assholes. No, but still, yeah, yeah, I yeah. Know. <laughs> and then we and then we <laughs> fell, and Sean's weight, I think, is what maybe pushed my face into the oven door after he fell on me uh. when the rug went sliding out from under us. Anyways, so um, everyone's been put on alert. Sean's out for a run, but Andrea, you text him if I fall. <laughs> I will. If I just keel over during the podcast. Thank God we have this video uh, uh, as we podcast. So then I'll know if you, I just see your eyes roll back in your head and just see your your feet fly up into the screen. Uh, We're okay. We're going to make it through this 200th episode. Um, By the way, we got such a fun and wonderful guest for basically the bulk of the show. Even though it's about to be my birthday tomorrow, I really feel like this was Andrea's birthday because (laughs) we got a cider expert and a cider bar owner in England, a longtime friend of mine. And so we just, trust me when I say, we nerded out. Oh yeah, real good. Super excited for you guys to hear that. But let's let's get in some headlines before we get into this interview. Ugh, so... This was just too funny. Speaking of like Halloween and someone who presses their, you know, he just got finished with pressing season of all the apples. (laughs) That's when he let me know. He's like, yes, I could do the podcast. We just finished pressing for the season. I was like, this is so quaint. Um, All right. So this is really funny. This headline. Just in time for Halloween, a company launches the world's first coffin aged wine. So there is an English wine brand called 19 Crimes. I feel like I recognize this, but with different, like a different label. Does 19 okay. Crimes sound familiar? Uh, not to me, no. I 
I'm maybe I'm thinking of something else, but I think it's like sold at 7-Eleven. So it might not be the nicest wine. Anyways, so they now created the world's most sinister red wine because they took 100 bottles of their brand, put them in a coffin, buried them six feet under in an old Victorian cemetery to let the wine age. Um, so I don't know what coffin aged wine, you know, is it an oak casket? <laughs> I is it a steel casket does it age differently oh. because it's underground i mean it, it's got to be more of a process does it oh my god things up it's like it's like the articles it says they put them in an oak casket and buried oh, them among hi. the dead how high <laughs> i thought i was making a great joke okay so they literally put it they put the wine in an oak casket buried him among oh in the in the tower hamlet cemetery which is victorian era cemetery um, it does not say how long they did it, but basically dug it up, had the wine hang out in the presence of a priest, which is super normal, right? Wow. So he, he, yeah. was, he was checking for evil just and bad in spirits, case. just in yeah, case he was right. ready there with holy water and a crucifix. Um, but basically a paranormal expert talking about this wine is like, listen, this shit is most likely cursed priest or not. And he said, there's no way I'm trying that fucking wine. Um, you know, and basically what my question is, Andrea, would you drink casket wine? Yeah, for sure, man. I'll drink <laughs> casket wine all day, baby. Um, <laughs> We yeah. were talking about how we, like last episode or two episodes ago, like we would totally take a sip off the ghost's beer, you know? Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, I do think it's, this is fun. It's super kitschy. Obviously they legally can do it. Not like, you know, there was, um, oh, that winery out of Santa Barbara, Ocean Fathoms and they, there's underwater aging of wine where oh. they put like, and I think they, they like illegally did it and then they were forced to like dump all of their wine out and they got convicted of a crime. But I oh. think there's also underwater wine aging happening like all over the world. Um, but yeah, this, so I'm sure everything is like legally like put into place to be like, you know, like you can donate your body to science. You can like donate your body to like have wine aged next to it, you know, oh, maybe, boy. but I like, yeah, I mean, does it actually, does it actually make the wine taste any differently or is it just kind of like, I think it's about the kitsch factor and it's, it's super goth wine. Basically. It's super goth wine. And, you know, obviously some people are just like, hell no, you know, listen, that wine was chilling underground with the dead and, you know, ghosts don't have boundaries. Mm -hmm. The paranormal expert That's says true. They're they like, can we'll... travel through walls and glass. Yeah, totally. And then all of a sudden you open up a bottle of spirits in a whole different way. <laughs> Are they using beautiful. that as a tagline? Or? <laughs> I know, I know. I was like, is that this article just yeah. writes itself? Yeah. I mean, you guys looking for representation as far as copywriting? <laughs> We're in. <laughs> um, but basically, they had samples at select locations all around the UK during the Halloween weekend. And so I'm telling you, just some Brit guys like, oh, fuck it, you know. Are you telling me this one was aged with a body? <laughs> well... I've heard it all. Um, yeah, I, I like I say, if I'm a couple in my daredevil streak, you know, the chances of me doing something stupid goes way up. So 
Yeah, this is like, yeah. Well, I mean, there's got to be like worse things. It's like, I, I, I don't know. It's like it's not like someone like put like a dead foot, like a toe in there or something, and they're just like, right. we pickled, we pickled some parts in there too. You know, the little <laughs> they put they put formaldehyde in uh, uh, some drinks. What am I thinking? Oh, Fireball. Fireball yeah, had formaldehyde in it, so yeah. I would I would say that formaldehyde riddled Fireball is probably a way more cursed drink um, for you to consume than the coffin wine. Oh, so good. Ugh. Ugh. Well, whatever. I probably would drink it. I would drink it. Well, this next story, uh, Jarrett sent this one over to us. I love not having to do research and you guys just send the stories to us and then we can talk about them. Um, It's pretty great. Yeah. So this one I got, the article I found is on People because I was like, whoa, very reputable site, People.com. Georgia restaurant adds $50 surcharge to loud families bill for adults unable to parent. Okay, so we just recently talked about like a barf tax, essentially. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Because people ain't putting up with shit. No more. So Tacoa Riverside Restaurant has a controversial adult surcharge that's gone viral. So this family came in um, with friends and family and there was a big party. And I think it was like uh, 11 11 11 children at the table between the ages of, I think, three and 10. Um, You know, and the whole time she was basically, oh, three and eight, three to eight. And she thought they were three and eight. They were being so good and very well behaved the entire meal Lindsay recalls and according to her the restaurant owner came over after they had finished dessert um, and to talk specifically about the adult surcharge surcharge, she initially thought that he was going to compliment the family on how well the kids were behaved but instead informed them there would be a $50 surcharge for the children being too loud and running around outside this is like this is Every, really I've dreamt about this moment, you know, for so long. Is it necessary? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think so. She was like, you know, they were quiet the whole time. And then he got in their faces and told them that they belonged at Burger King and not at his restaurant. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. And then when they asked to speak to the owner, he says, oh, bitch, you're looking at the owner right here. And then she looked around the restaurant. And everybody was like frozen and watching all of it as he was yelling at them so man yeah so obviously I, you know, shit's I, blown up since then <laughs> oh you better believe reddit's got some threads going um i think what's crazy is everyone thought because like at the bottom of the menu they they have a lot of rules you can already tell this yes place is yes it was ca- already extra yes and i think they were kind of like haha adults yes very extra place um, so, yeah, like I would say a good portion of the menu is like their rules <laughs> versus food. Um, so, you know, they do some of the normal stuff. Gratuity of 18 percent may be added to parties over six separate checks, birthday menu, adult surcharge for adults unable to parent. And it's just three three dollar signs. So like at at the owner's discretion, um, I mean, it's really crazy. I mean, obviously I can get with them saying be respectful to staff property and self no respect no service um 
cool. That's nice. That's pro service industry. And then now they also have to let people, none of your store-bought food is permitted in the dining area. Uh-huh. Then they go on to have their Wi-Fi. Then Pass- they say that if you pay with cash. Yeah. There's a there's so much information on yeah. this fucking menu. Also, the uh, you know, it it's public here, so I will I will let you guys know that the password uh for Wi-Fi is silly beans. Silly beans. If silly, you silly there beans. And, if you're in Georgia and want to log on, but yeah, this this menu clearly they're trying to address multiple things that have happened. You know, we say like weird rules only exist because someone did something like someone came down and had a grocery store rotisserie chicken that they're like no I'm fine I'm just gonna eat this here I guarantee something stupid like that has happened but this sort of like amorphous like depending on what kind of mood I'm in I'm gonna slap a surcharge on your table based on what I think your parenting skills are and you're like what are the rules kids are like kids are loud you know, kids are loud. Going Absolutely. out to eat with children is never super chill. I know that there are nightmarish scenarios where you're like, fuck, yeah, I think that's a situation, though, where you that's when you just auto grab that fucking table. Ab- and which they, 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 are, which they have on. There. Yeah, <laughs> they have an autograph. Yeah. And it's like, I, I guess th- it is a lot. It is one thing to be like, hey, man, your kids are being really loud. There could be warnings but it sure. is all this whole thing with just like extra money being slapped on left and right. I wonder how deep it's going to go. Like, I wonder what article we're going to talk about next where there's like a weird surcharge, you know? I mean, you know, his attitude is like, it's my place. It's my vibe. I don't give a fuck. He, he did comment, um, you know, saying uh, he talked to on the phone to today. Um, and he just said, oh, an employee said, we're not going to comment on a policy we've had for years. We oh. just want to live in the woods and cook. <laughs> I mean, that's the basically like what's happening. I'm looking at the gallery of the place right now. It's a very quaint, beautiful looking restaurant. So totally. And, you know, I, I, it just at the end of the day, I mean, I don't know. Are, are There have to be restaurants where they're adult only. Or they just highly discourage you bringing your kids. Well, they're called but bars. I <laughs> well, I, yes. No, I, I was going to say we do have bars, um, which based on the state you live in, the children can also come to those up to a certain hour. Not here in California. They also have, thank a, God. They have a pooch patio. Like they have a whole area dedicated to having your dogs there. So like they're they they. You know, there's inclusion, right? Yeah. So it just seems like people bring their their family and their pets and all is happy. But yeah, I I guess you just didn't you didn't cut the mustard for this guy who just lost his fucking mind. It sounds like it was like a a really just a weird off strange evening. Yeah, we all have them, man. But um, but like hot topic. I know show. I don't usually side with a large table of kids and mothers. They they I would say the flip side of this is they are usually in the wrong and they are usually entitled. This sounds like this owner just lost his shit on these. Truly. People. Absolutely. I mean, I love going to a place or a place, a, a, an Instagram page, rather, where like you'd obviously this restaurant hadn't posted since the 4th of July. And now like that post has like 600 comments on it because everybody's just like dragging. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Go get them. Come on, Internet justice. Now we got to go over here. You know, they're yeah. just ready. They oh, are ready. Oh, Angry boy. mob. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Well, well t- 
tell us what you think. Tell us if your restaurant has any specific or wild policies revolving around kids. And if you do things, you know, we've all seen this the sign that hangs in restaurants that are like, uh, unruly children will be given a Red Bull and, you know, and something like basically the joke of like, if you if you have a misbehaved child, we're going to give it coffee and, um, you know, like a can of paint or something a like that. What's the joke? Uh, I know, but you've seen these signs, right? Yes, for sure. Um, okay. Unruly children will be given. <laughs> oh, Brooke, this is how Brooke works all the time. Coffee. <laughs> and okay, let me see if that sign pops. Okay, here's what they are. Unattended children will be given an espresso and a free puppy. That's what they usually say. Okay. That's see, that's fun to be like just ha 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 ha. But seriously, but also dagger eyes. But <laughs> seriously, like, please, please, I don't wanna. Um, I I thought I saw an article somewhere else too now that Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Um, if children are running around, oh, that was a joke though, like, but if children are running out around the restaurant, it is... You will not get charged if you trip them. Like yeah, no, totally. No legal consequences. Yeah, 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 for sure. And I think we talked about like we talked about that too. That it's okay to trip kids, like if they're running around the yeah. restaurant. You'd be like, know, just put a little leg out real quick, but make it look like part of the service so that it doesn't look intentional. You know, let them go flying face first into an oven door, just like your old friend Brooke here. Ow. Well, on that note, let's get let's get out of here and listen to this uh, fun interview. So Brooke can put an ice pack back on her face on my head <laughs> on my head and and t- to be fair this is really exciting because this is the first time i think we've had a guest on from the uk i know we've been talking about it for so long um so yeah we're gonna skip over server submitted stories but please feel free to send them to us at sideworkpod at gmail.com yeah you guys and thanks for tuning in for our 200th episode and enjoy this lovely interview Well, let's do an appropriate welcome to Sidework Podcast, uh, my longtime friend and Andrea's soon-to-be new best friend, Mike Pomeranz, everybody. Hello. Uh, 
Uh, Brooke has mentioned you so many times in the past, and then like the minute she was like, "Oh, he just he just opened. He has his own cider pub in in England." I was like, "Oh, excuse me, me." Um, I'm as I'm I'm a cider head. I'm a cider slut. I don't. I'm not sure. What what we're called? What are we called? <laughs> uh, cider drinker or, or preferably yeah. cider connoisseur. <laughs> there we go. Fanatic. Yeah, fanatic. Um, you know, I think LA is kind of getting there, and we'll get into this. And I'm sure, you know, obviously you're far more educated than I am on everything. But Maybe. I lived in Chicago for many many years, and like the Michigan apple scene is really fierce, and yeah. like so the cider production in that part of the country is really great. And I moved here, and it was like crickets, nothing. Like Northern California's got stuff, but the distribution is like not good. I'm I should shut up. I mean, I, no, I, know. I, mean, you're, I you're, everything you said so far has been accurate. I'm, so. I'm already like going off on it. So things are sort of getting better here. There's a couple new um, cider houses that have sprouted up over the past couple of years here in Los Angeles, which is pretty exciting. Um, but, you know, I'm I'm there for like a funky, dry like time. And it's just it's interesting, like learning about cider, too, because it's like cider was before beer, like cider right. was just like here's here's your water essentially right right i mean <laughs> at, at what point do you want me to jump in here because i mean i could talk oh you on, start on all, on all of these subjects. i mean one of the things that i one of the things that drew me to cider well let me talk about how i got into cider which is i come from a, a beer writing background um and it was uh i'm gonna take this out because i can't there we go i come from a beer writing background and uh i had an editor you know i've covered craft beer for i, I had covered craft beer for uh, over a decade and i had an editor come up to me in 2000 i want to say six no yeah around 2015 2014 2015 he's like mike we need someone to write about cider he's like beer and cider are the same thing why don't you handle it <laughs> and that was to be fair but before then i didn't know anything about cider i wouldn't even said that beer and cider are the same thing i would just said i don't care about cider it's not something i drink it's not something i really want to know about um but you know given the opportunity for more work I'm like all right yeah beer and cider are the same thing let's Let's give this a go. And that's how I immediately learned that beer and cider are definitely not at all the same thing. Uh, and the primary difference um, is that it is brewing. Literally, people, I hate right. one of my biggest pet peeves is when someone says, oh, you, so you brew cider. It's like, am I allowed to curse on this podcast? Oh, you yeah, whatever. There is no fucking <laughs> brewing in the cider making process. It's more akin to wine, right? You take, uh, for wine, you take grape juice and you just ferment it and then it becomes wine, you know? For cider, you take apple juice, you ferment it, and then it becomes cider. And we sell um, in my at my uh, bar, uh, and formerly my my uh, micro cider house, we sell shirts that say, I always joke, it said, I put my recipe on a sweatshirt, and it says, uh, apple juice plus time equals alcohol. That's my recipe. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's there's, it's nice. very, very little inter intervention. And the example I always give as far as you know, beer, what you do, the brewing process is to extract the sugars are inherently in apple juice, but with brewing, you're extracting sugar from malt for beer. And the example I always give is you can squeeze tea leaves as long as you want. You're never going to get a fucking cup of tea out of it, right? That's brewing because right. it's, it's brewing is introducing water to try and extract something out of it, right? Same, you know, so it's like brewing coffee. It's like, you know, it's like you can't just squeeze coffee beans to make a cup of coffee, right? You, But you can literally squeeze an apple or squeeze yeah. grapes and, and get these fermented beverages. So I think that's the first. The problem though, is getting back to what my editor said, is um, beer and cider are then marketed similarly because they uh, look the same. 
when they're both made to be fizzy, even though cider isn't naturally going to be fizzy, again, more akin to wine. Uh, and because their ABVs are artificially similar, even though uh, cider ABVs want to be higher naturally than beer ABVs. Uh, so this is kind of like artificial creation to market cider uh, alongside beer as some sort of fruity, sweet alternative. Again, even though cider doesn't want to be sweet, cider, cider, as you said, wants to be funky and dry. That's the natural end game for for apple juice. You this this was like actually this was at like um sort of like Andrea was just uh Paul Giamatti and you were Virginia Madsen in um ah, sideways yes. and you like yes. she got all glazed over and just fell in love. Uh, um, I've been I've been I've been saving a special bottle of cider from for my divorce. So. <laughs> <laughs> Let's back it up a little bit to uh you know you basically started in comedy is how we met, but you right. were always food leaning. Um, you were kind of in my group of friends who I'm like, I think I'm a little more like them. How do I get off this comedy fucking, <laughs> you know, hamster wheel? Because I really admire that you used your ability as a writer to branch off into um, food writing and, and getting really cool jobs and a great career. Um, you were formerly with uh, Food and Wine, writing great stuff for them for a long time. You worked with oh. Tasting Table. What was the project we did way back when? We I did. Kind of yeah. What the hell was it called? Where it's like, God damn it. I should have. You should have reminded me before I could do my research. No, my yeah, bad. We, I was, don't remember. Uh, oh, it was Recipe Impossible. Where yes. we get a very We get a very difficult. It was me hosting. And then I brought in an outside comedian uh, to um, then... Uh, they gave us the hardest possible recipes they could find. And we saw whether we were able to actually cook it or not following the recipe. I did an episode Fun. with Jason Biggs that actually got uh, uh, posted on their website. And then we filmed nice. an episode that I don't think they ever used. That was supposed to be the second episode. I think they scrapped the project. <laughs> uh, yeah, because I was kind of, I was like, I was like, wait, I'm like on in a cool video cooking just because I'm always looking for things for my reel or just to prove that I, you know, exist in this world. And I was like, I don't see it anywhere. I don't know. To be fair, it's like they, they you know, they posted the Jason Biggs one. I don't know why sure. they just scrapped it, even though we had, we had shot it. You think they at least it used took, it. It's not like a, it took all day. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, it was, it was a fun project. Mm -hmm. I think. I, yeah. I do think it still has some, some legs to it. Um, but I just think it was the you know kind of maybe I was the wrong host. Do you remember <laughs> the a couple of the recipes that were part of the challenge? What did, did we cook a souffle? Was that or did we cook a? I got. I, I think with one of them was a Thanksgiving one where we had to cook like a turducken or a turkey or something. Or a, <laughs> that that one was. Not a, I think we did a souffle. Brooke, I and can't. I maybe I because we used to have to do tableside souffle at uh, the fancy steakhouse I worked at in Chicago back when. Right. And I mean, it was the bane of my like, I still get cold sweats thinking about the souffle. Everyone in the back would start yelling. They're like, it's dropping. It's dropping because it just starts to <laughs> deflate like the longer you take yeah. to get it from the kitchen to the table. Anyways, um, very fun. And uh, did you, we have to ask, did you yourself yeah. ever wait tables? I ever no, I have never waited. Okay. Well, but you are a bartender and a bar owner. What, so so that what I what I did is I worked in a retirement home where um I, that was like the closest I came, and that was uh, actually I I won um I was like employee of the month one month because my whole trick was like obviously the old people bless their heart are, are you know aren't, weren't always the, the sharpest uh, knives in the drawer, and then uh it was buffet style in the back like nothing was actually not, everything was like mm -hmm. prepped in advance because it's like a retirement center 
And so I would just always be like, oh, can I change my dessert order? Because you'd order dessert before everything, you know, with your normal. I'm like, I don't know. Let me go in the back and see what I can do for it. So, you know, <laughs> meanwhile, I was just like fucking trays of dessert. Like I'll just grab you that. Just grab oh, whatever I pulled you want. some strings. <laughs> hey. like, that was my experience with <laughs> the wait. It was it was very easy waiting job. That's but amazing. No, I, so the, the thing is, I always say, um, when when I'd opened when I opened my first bar, I'm, I'm now on my second bar. Uh, I had never um, worked a shift. I never, not only had I never owned a bar before, I'd never worked a shift in a bar before, uh, neither as a bartender or a glass washer. To be fair, I'd never had a job where you had to use a um, POS system before. Like oh, I literally yeah. had, you know, I, I basically, I was very, I went from like bagging groceries uh, uh, to drug addiction, to being a writer. Like that was my, <laughs> that was my three-step <laughs> career path. <laughs> so I never actually held down like many proper, proper jobs before I got like into the depths of, of kind of the, well, I actually I did, I did tutoring for a long time, which again is not very, uh, um, its own set of challenges yeah, and, exactly. you know, particulars. Uh, well, I also I mean, found, just, I was gonna say, it's funny because you mentioned like going from comedy and into food writing and, you know, just to, uh, for me, it was very interesting because my dream was always to be a comedy writer. And while I was looking for comedy writing jobs, um, my sister was working for uh, AOL Food at the time. Mm -hmm. She's like, we need someone that can write about beer. I know you love beer. You're a borderline alcoholic. I know you can write. Like, do you want to try and see if you can handle this gig? And so that's how I got into it. It's not, I mean, is it, if it's your sister, is it still nepotism? I don't know. But <laughs> she kind of gave me this opportunity. Um, and you know, I'm like, all right, I might as well run with this. I did love beer. It's a chance to drink beer, you know, and get paid for it. Um, and then I think, as you know, Brooke, about I've been doing that for about two or three years when I landed uh, my first proper comedy writing job working for, mm -hmm. for Tosh.0 for Comedy yeah. Central. And I was there for three years. And at some point in that process, it dawned on me. It's just like, you know, when there was a couple of things. One is as a comedy writer, you're always writing in someone else's voice, yeah. you know, which isn't very, until you become kind of the big dog or whatever. And I, in a way I was going, that wasn't really my future, you know, and I didn't really enjoy writing in someone else's voice all the time. And then the other thing too, is like in comedy, as you, in, in food and beverage writing, as you get older, you get more experienced in comedy. As you get older, you get more out of touch, <laughs> you know? And I just kind of saw, like you said, like I kind oh, of that's... saw that food, food was kind of a more relevant long-term lane for me. And, you know, I, I sometimes look back and regret, like, should I have continued on with, there, there are some choices I made to kind of get out of comedy where I probably could have gotten more into comedy. And I, I wonder about it sometimes I'm, I'm certainly not unhappy uh, being a bar owner at this point. No, life, I mean, you know? for, for setting, you know, having forks in the road, it sounds like you were set up on both sides pretty, you know, equally, but who knows? I mean, just having like, it seems quaint what you're doing now. It seems less, I mean, it's just, you know, apples in time, right? It's right, just yeah. kind of like, I mean, in, in a way it just seems like, you know, a little bit more easy to wrap your head around you doing specific processes than like being thrust into the world of Hollywood. You know, it just <laughs> seems. <laughs> or, there, I mean, can especially I pay a right now? I know. Or it's like, can I pay a compliment too? That it's like, I think I'm at a place in my life where I'm really hungry for instead of just trying to get anything that falls in the category of entertainment, I'm really yearning to be like an expert at something and to like really right. know like what my life is and you know, like what's the next 15 or 20 years going to look like. And so like, I really am just envious and I'm like, uh, let's move to England. My boyfriend. Oh, is, I'm like, uh, can English. I come apprentice with you? Yeah. Like that's how I, can I need a job. Can do. I, we, don't, we don't make any money with the cider side. So I, I'll take all the apprentices. I can okay. get. I mean, I, I, I say it, it sounds about a bit weird when I say it out loud, but it's like, 
you know, I've always been kind of uh, into uh, the idea of following the path a bit. And as dumb as it sounds, my primary path has always just been alcohol. <laughs> yeah. And to be fair, like, you know, at, at one point, there was a time where I thought like comedy, alcohol and comedy, like were like the alcohol is taking me to comedy a bit. But the, the funny thing is, you know, I, I think that, and to be fair, you look back at comedians in the seventies and eighties and nineties, and there, there was more now all the comedians are going sober, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. it's like right. not oh, yeah. as much of a, it's not a thing anymore. I think that part of it too, it's just like my idea of, of where my life was, was going like, I think in some ways comedy moved away from me and not, not the other way around. And I just sure. kind of followed the path along, which is what I've always loved, which is, you know, talking about beer, uh, talking about now cider, you know, being in, you know, being in pubs, being in bars, talking to people um, and just being kind of the, a dinosaur that's still embracing the joys of, of a bit of booze here and there. So. Absolutely. I mean, and that being said, like in the food industry, there's like, you know, there's a trend where chefs are going sober as oh, well. Definitely. You, you know, and the food alcohol. tastes worse. <laughs> the, the best, so my the one of the best chefs in Sheffield, his name's Luke French. He's he's been on some TV shows here in the UK and he runs one of these tasting menu places. Uh so actually my my first bar, the Cider Hole, as it was called, uh, which is also where I launched uh, my cider brand, which is Exemption Cider House. Um so we uh we were directly above Luke's restaurant, uh, Euro, um, which is one of the most acclaimed restaurants in a not very acclaimed city of Sheffield where I live. Um, and so it took a while, but I eventually did get my cider was sold in, in Euro, which was kind of one of the best accomplishments we, we've had as part of their, uh, as one of the drink pairings for their tasting menu. Uh, the irony of all of that is Luke himself has never tasted any of my ciders because he doesn't drink anymore. So just, like, just has to take your word for it. Like, well, yeah. much, much love to to the restaurant manager, Ali, who was willing to Great. drink plenty, willing to drink plenty of cider on, on his behalf to get me in there. So, so uh, am I correct in that your cider brand um, is you guys use farm, like local, right. like farm apples that do they come from people's well, not, yards not far, so not, they... not farm apples so we work like with, uh, for, forage there's different ways to us I, I describe it as here in england we call them garden apples it's you know, got it like back, backyard apples basically gotcha. or front yard apples uh so i um the one of my ethos to, to, to go back to how i got into cider making is when i first started writing about beer i started home brewing to learn the process of brewing so i could be better at writing about it uh, when I then got this break into cider writing that I didn't even, didn't even know I wanted, um, I, well, so my, one of the first trips I took, the, the second story I ever wrote about cider was going up to Shaxbury in Vermont um, and helping them make one of their lost apple projects, uh, ciders, where they find forage fruit hidden around Vermont that's been for either wild trees or forgotten orchard trees and turning that into cider. So we'd go around, just, you know, knock on people's doors. They have like a 15 acre backyard because it's fucking Vermont and everyone lives on way too much <laughs> land. And they'd have 30, 40 trees back there they didn't even know existed. So we collect, we, I helped them collect those apples and they made cider from it. So we're driving home, uh, Claire and I, my wife and I, were driving back to New York City from, from Vermont. And on one of these country roads, we just saw apples lying on the side of the road. And we're like, we saw those motherfuckers doing it. <laughs> like, like, why not? Should we do it? So we threw open the boots or is the trunk, as we used to say. Yeah. <laughs> Finders the, keepers. <laughs> threw the apples that were just on the side of the road in, in the back of the, of the car. And what, what I was going to say is I wanted to try making cider so I could learn more about cider. The same thing that I learned about making beer through home brewing. And that was my first ever batch of cider. 
um, about, so again, that's probably 2015. So what is that, eight years ago? I've lived in the in the UK now for about seven years, I think. Um, and it was just right before, I'm about a year before I moved where I started going down this path. Um, and the thing I loved about cider making is just kind of that mystery of it that I, I always describe it as like with brewing, you're very much following a recipe to try and achieve end goal. It's like baking a cake where cider making is more alchemy. It's like you're kind of, there's a lot of prayer involved, a lot of just like hoping things work out for the, you get the right apples or things. You know, you, you can follow certain paths to get to an end game, but it, a lot of it is more out of your hands. I prefer it to be out of, out of my hands, you know, the same with winemaking. If you, if you try and control your wine too much, then it's, there's no beauty to it anymore. Um, and so tying that all together, it's like when I open my own cider house, I'm, you know, I'm like, literally, I, you know, you look, once you know this, you start looking around, you're like, there's alcohol hanging from the fucking trees. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. It's like, look right. at all this alcohol that's hanging here. No, it's you just got to collect it, you know, you know, crush it, press it, put it in a bucket and, and turn into booze. So that was kind of my idea is like, let's work with the idea. It also hits a lot of these things people like to hear about these days, which is, you know, it's, uh, preventing food waste, making sure produce isn't, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not really preventing food waste. These apples would otherwise go to waste, you know, and just working, working within the community, staying, you know, not traveling far, not shipping apples from all around. I literally, you know, I put out calls on my local Facebook group, who has apples, you know? So um, the first year I ever did it, which was three seasons ago, um, I collected from about, I think, I wasn't really sure how many apples I'd find. I put out calls on Facebook and Reddit and collected from about, or got in touch with about 70 different people. It blew my mind um, and collected from over 30 houses, uh, which again, I, I wasn't sure if I'd get anything and was able to produce three 200 liter batches of cider, uh, each kind of slightly different. Um, and it was off to the races, you know, it's like making just this, these crazy kind of Sheffield local garden, you know, like I said, kind of backyard apple ciders, kind of true scrumpy, as people say, you know, yeah. uh, because they're, these are, on, most of them are unselected apples and, and blah, blah, blah. I mean, cool. I love it. It's, it's very, it, it just harkens back to uh, how everyone did it back in the day, you know? Right. Yeah. Let's just see and, what we get with the apples we have that we can, you know, put our hand out the window and make some yum yums. We're going to get drunk off these apples, whether it tastes nice or not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love the alchemy of it. I love that you being like, all right, let's hop this one. Let's like put champagne yeast in this one. Let's see, you know, like there's this really fun, different ways to do it. I've made a couple batches of closet cider in you my have? day, you know, uh, not here in uh, LA, you know, when we, I was in Chicago, I had a friend that worked at a great farm in Michigan and like that grew all oh, the fancy yeah. herbs and vegetables for mm -hmm. all the high end restaurants in Chicago. Um, and so he would invite us to the farm every now and then. It was a great experience. He'd basically be like, usually it went down like smoke this joint, now get in the golf cart and now we're going to drive all over the farm and you can taste, you can eat anything you want, you know? It's an amazing experience. And they just apples and apples and apples. But I mean, I'm pretty sure I did it wrong. That's why I say closet cider because it was like, it was already pressed cider essentially. And then so we like added yeast pre, to it. Pre-pressed juice you're saying. Yeah, it was yeah. already juiced. So, yeah. which I'm just sure isn't like the proper way to do no, it. I mean, but it was still a fair, fun. We, we use, so at each year we do a, a blended cider. So one of the concepts is uh, one, one 200 liter fermenter is always a mix of the, of the backyard apples and then some proper cider apples uh, that where we get the juice sent from uh, the Ross and Y cidery in Herefordshire here in England. And so to prove that like you can blend 
real apple, you know, you can get more uh, commercial tasting cider if you blend shit apples with good apples with basically the concept. And that that comes in, in juice, you know, it, like it, it doesn't, it, I, it, again, like I said, part of the alchemy is, is you make, it's kind of, it's more like a choose your own adventure book where you, you make choices, you don't necessarily know what's on the next page, but you try and make the best choice. And sometimes it's, you know, takes you down a great path. And sometimes it takes you down a path you got to kind of figure out how to get you off of, you know? <laughs> I mean, that's a life, baby, right? I mean, kind of, kind of great. Well, we, um, we thought of you for, you know, because we're like, oh, the month of November and everyone starts to get very like apple season here, harvesty. And, you know, obviously for me growing up in Michigan, it was more about all the apple, you know, mills. You were just like, uh, orchards and farms and you know we had this great place called Blake's which is now putting out some I haven't tasted their cider but um I grew up driving past Blake's orchard uh, pretty much every week of my life going to my grandma's house and now they've got a hard cider and the children haven't inherited the farm the parents didn't want it anymore they were going to sell it and the kids are like no we want to give this you know orchard a big redo and they got right into the hard cider business, which I think right. was super, super smart of them. And they have a little tasting room now, but my parents went and said, it's don't go for the food. Right. <laughs> they, they haven't gotten that part together yet. But um, yeah, so like in Michigan, you just think of cider season and apples. And I think what's cool about the hard cider is it's really pushing to be a year round drink that's good all the time, good in the summer, you know, and is accessible to everyone. I, I really do like a drink you can walk away with in a can, you know, I'm a bit right. of a can, a can person. I was like, let's put, let's have one in the car on the way to the beach, you know? Oh yeah. I was full on, like had a can of cider in my hand, trick or treating with kids yesterday. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> That's what you do. You know, you gotta have your roadie. <laughs> I mean, I do think there's like, um, I think a lot of people don't, it, it, it's like, I think, you know, people like to draw a lot of these parallels between, between beer and cider. And I think part of the problem is that you, you get people like cider is still waiting for it kind of larger, being a larger way of catching on than yeah. beers. You know, there, there was a time when we were all growing up where it's like, you know, you try, someone would try, you know, we, we all drank lagers, you know, like, um, you know, I don't know what the hell I used to drink. It's like, Oh, let's get a good beer today. Let's get Miller red instead of Miller. Oh yeah. Killian's red. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. That's, that's red. Yeah. So it's better where it's like, and then you'd, you'd try like a, um, like what was one of the early ones? Um, you'd, you know, you try like a, even looks like a Sierra Nevada pale ale and you'd be like, this is weird and crappy, you know? And then now it's like, everyone wants their beers hoppy, you know? Um, instead of the lagers and you still have some appreciation, you know, you, now we've lost our appreciation for lager. But the thing is, there's this thing that's like so much of the population still associates cider, I believe, with you know, things that are coyingly sweet or overly yes. fruited. Right. And still too much of the cider market is still in the Alcapop kind of realm and not enough is not enough work has been done to kind of get people's palates accustomed to kind of, you know, different sorts of, of time of um, ciders. I fully agree with that fully agree with that i even went like you know the angry orchards of the world you know that kind of situation oh, it's gosh. it's too much it's too sugary tummy ache yeah it's hard you know it, it's like anytime i'm in i'm traveling i'm in a new place in the country here the, if we go the first thing i do is look and kind of see what, what kind of cider they have you know on the right. shelves like what do they have to offer regionally and like it's getting there again depending on where you're where you're at you I know mean, I, and I always say that the biggest problem in, in my mind is, so you think about the craft beer revolution. And so beer sales uh, make up 
uh, around. It's been dropping again recently. But in general, beer sales make up about 50% of alcohol sales in the US, right? Craft beer has, over the course of 20, 30 years, infiltrated that 50%. And now craft beer is about 20% last I saw of total beer sales. So that means it makes up 10% of the um, total alcohol market, right? Because beer took up 50%. So it took a lot of time, but they got a chunk of the beer market. And that is a big chunk of the whole alcohol market. Cider makes up 1% of the total U.S. alcohol market. Wow. So even if craft, fancy, nice cider took over 100% of the cider market, it would still only make up 1% of the total alcohol market. And so this is where the different lies, difference lies is that you cider needs to infiltrate new drinkers. Craft beer only had to convert existing beer drinkers but craft cider needs to not only take over cider drinking but take over you know get in with a whole lot of beer drinkers get in with a whole lot of wine drinkers get in a whole lot of i don't know cocktail drinkers that's why you see a lot of the um brand a lot of these cider brands now make kind of like canned cocktail ciders you know like we've just started um to uh do a, a plug here um, my, I have a boutique import company here in the UK called Quality Ferments Imports, and we just started importing some stuff from Shaxbury, and they do like a gin and tonic cider. You know? Oh, like, yeah, I've had that. Uh-huh. How, how, Brit, Brits are going to love it. You know, it's like right, Brits yeah. love fucking cider, love gin and tonic. Yes, it's, it's, it seems like a winner here. But yeah, it's it's difficult to, you know, it, you, this is where cider is, is, is been struggling, because when people always say cider is the next craft, you know, craft cider is the next craft beer. I say I'd like to believe that, but I've I've seen the numbers. It's it's a different sort of sort of battle. That's so interesting. Well, you know, I'm a one percenter in this. The only time I'm yeah. ever going to be a one percenter is right now. <laughs> oh my god! I knew in it. the cider world, that's for sure. Um, do you feel like you know? Obviously, this podcast is about like the service industry, but like being thrust into ownership. Do you feel like you've really found a new appreciation for service for, you know, for your employees, for people who do the job, do the work? I, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, at, as a bar owner, I definitely, it, it makes you see all of your years of drinking in bars. <laughs> it definitely doesn't. You're like, Oh, like things where I thought I might've been being funny or cute. I've been an asshole my entire life. Oh God, what have I done? Uh, <laughs> But and and then you also you, you do you, the thing is like I think it's different between like we all know that like customers can be so stuck in their ways, um, but it's like when you're when you're trying to you know it's not just like dealing with a shitty customer from a um, from a service side. It's like I'm running a bar that's trying to trying to educate people yeah. on awesome drinks, and they just don't want to hear it. You know, it's like well, why did you come in here? Why did you come to our concert to boo us? You know, it's one of those old things. It's like, like, why did you come in here uh, if you just are going to give me a headache about not liking what we serve? Like, didn't you do any, you just wandered in off the streets? Like, it says, you know, you know, we're a micro cidery, you know, we're, we serve, you know, weird fruit wines. I import myself from Denmark. You know, it's like, I don't know what you're- Also, did you not pay attention that you walked into a bar called the Cider Hole? (laughs) Exactly. No, we we would have- People, so the, the new bar is more prone to that. So the new bar is called the Old the Shoe, old shoe which, is, is a which is a beautiful uh, name. <laughs> well, it, it used to be an old shoe shop called Shoe. So there, it's not just a, <laughs> not just a catchy name. Uh, 
it was literally the old shoe but we um yeah it's at the cider hole people would come in people would come in and then just like you know bitch about you know the cider or bitch about oh that you don't have any good beers here and like well, one we do have good beers i don't know what you're on about <laughs> like we don't have a ton of them um it's you know it's i i do think it's it's hard you, you start to realize how many restaurants how many bars how many places in general in, in general just pander to the general public to try and make money which is fine that's kind of the part of business but you also the sad part of that is you know those of us out there who are trying to make a difference and, and elevate these things how hard of a struggle that is you think like if you offer people good stuff they'll want to come drink good stuff but sadly like that's Lots of people go to bars because they want to dance or they want right. to, yes. uh, you know, be in, uh, you know, just be in a shitty place drinking shitty beer. Yeah. It's escapism. Yeah. 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 But I mean, it is, I think, I think it is great though, what you're doing to be specific and like stick to your guns, you know, I, and, and just keep curating like, these really fun experiences for the people that do appreciate it because not I uh, enjoy places like that. I want a fun, unique curated experience. Well, so, and you know, since I come from a journalism background and you know, I've met these makers, like I always say my, my job is to promote great drinks and promote the people who make them. You know, I'm an advocate, I'm an advocate first and a uh, bar owner second in a lot of ways. And I was having a discussion with another bar owner who, to be fair, I I think he's caught on the fact that I talk shit behind his back, but I'm going to keep doing it. You know, we we were taught, we were opening our bars around the same time and he had this grand vision of making this great bar. And then he just signed a contract with a major beer producer and got all his lines done by them. And there's no good beer in there. And, mm. you know, it's just like, mm-hmm. and the place in my mind sucks. He's, the thing is he's making, it's been, it's been more successful than what I do, you know? And then we, I bumped into him recently. He's just like, what you need to do, you need some more mass market stuff in there. That's where you make your margins. That's where you make your money. And I'm like, you know what? I will let the bar go out of business before you know, before I do that, like in my mind, if if the bar isn't a financially viable way to advocate for these producers, I'll find another job, you know, that will let me advocate for the producers. I'll, I'll get a, get out of bar ownership and work for a um, for an advocacy group or a trade group or something like that. You know, it's like I have a journalism background. I can do fucking anything I want, you know, with this uh, because I care, you know, and that's the thing. It's it's hard for people to do it. It's, you, you can't accomplish what you want if you don't care about it. You know, you have to follow the fucking tried and true path of bullshit, you know. So I follow the path of like, you know, I'm, I'm going to do I'm going to try this because I'm hopefully it'll work out well and hopefully it'll, it'll get, you know, achieve these end goals. But I'm going to if that's not the path to get me there, I'll, I'll find another way to achieve the same goal, you know. Well, you know, I just hope that you stay with the course so I can come visit you. So stick with what you've got until <laughs> we're on a 10 year lease. So, oh, uh... good. Great. Aces. <laughs> Mike, uh, there's this great tasting table article. And I don't know if this was your idea, if they yep, put you it, up to it. No, it was 100% my idea. Yeah. <laughs> you pitched this and yep. did they provide a budget for said thing? They, they did. They did. They, Amazing. they paid, for, paid for the meals, exactly. Okay. Yes. So what I'm referring to is, I love this. There is this restaurant in New York City called Freeman's. It was Freeman's Alley. To to be fair, I I just quickly Googled it to remember the name of the restaurant and then make sure it is still online. So yes, it was Freeman's and the article is still up. Thank God. because it's a great article. Oh yeah. No, I I just, I just found it while (laughs) I was just looking for other fun tidbits about you. Is Freeman still um, open and running? I'm curious. I, I do not know. I'm not sure. Okay. Okay. Anyways, but this was a super duper hot spot on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, and 
basically you wrote an article about what it was like to dine at the same restaurant seven nights in a row. And, and, and ordering, and importantly, ordering the exact same thing at every meal. Yes. And I found this really fascinating because it does advocate for the fact that restaurants and service and whatever staff is on, it's a fucking dance that happens every night. And I really love that your takeaway was just sort of like, it's an imperfect you know, craft and experience. So if, if you want to say a few words. So the, the funny uh, thing about this, so I absolutely love this article. I wish people would ask me about it more often because, you know, there's, you write, I've written thousands of articles for, you know, in, in the digital world, they just, you know, they float away these days, but this is definitely one of my favorites. And the, the funniest thing about it is <laughs> it's inspired by Burger King. <laughs> so okay. when, when I was, a, when I was a teenager, uh, so I might, I, I had just gotten my driving license at like 16 or something. And so uh, me and my buddy Red, would there was a, a Burger King within walking distance of my house, but we would drive to the other Burger King farther away because we swore it was the better Burger King, you know? <laughs> and I think I think that, and it, to be fair, I, to this day, I know that the double cheeseburger there tasted better. And it's this thing that like, so much of food becomes, you know, is, is, you know, mass produced. And we, and I guess it comes from beer too. You know, people think, people think that things taste the same every time, but like every, everything uh, is, is at least, you know, to some extent, slightly different from batch to batch. You know, I was advocating, you know, getting back to, to beer and cider. It's like, you know, these are made from, from, uh, from agricultural products. They can't be identical all the time. They try and taste identical, right. but they, they vary. Right. And so then it's like, gets down to, it's like, well, you know, something like Burger King, you know, people are literally just heating up a burger, you know, it's like not, not that big of a difference, you know, what is it like uh, when the kind of pressures of a restaurant and not just that, but also it's like, you know, very few restaurants is the same person cooking this, you know, you know, they're the same chef back there cooking every single day, you know? So I had this idea, I'm like, okay, let's, let's actually, I always wanted to know, like, what is it like, you know? What are the small differences that we don't really know? You know, what's the difference between, and the thing is too, it's like, what's the difference between like the best meal of your life and the worst meal of your life? You know, it's like, you can, I've had rest, you know, some of my favorite restaurants you go and it's not, a, you didn't, it didn't taste right that night or it tasted better another night. Is that emotional? Is that actually, you know, physical things on your plate? So I pitched the idea to Tasting Table and, and that, I think that's when Kat Kinsman was there and she was very, nice. she was the same person who green, getting back to what we we're talking about earlier, like green lit the stupid idea of, of these, um, uh, you know, doing the videos of cooking impossible recipes. So uh, she's always been a big supporter of my crazy ideas. I'm like, I want to eat the exact same meal uh, seven seven nights in a row. Um, and I, I think that the, the easiest way to describe it is, is to this day, I can taste the differences in those different chickens on all seven nights. Like, I, I, I forget. It's like, I remember, I think it was like, Mondays and Wednesdays chicken tasted similar, but Tuesdays tasted a bit different. Uh, I distinctly remember Friday and Saturday's meals did not taste the same. It was the same meal, but they were, they were different and little things like, you know, it's like I ordered the same drink, I think too. And it's like, you know, the garnishes would be different on the cocktail on different nights. Um, I think one, I can't, you know, I'd have to relook at the article again. But the, Well, also I, just up that, that like you had one server when you were sitting at the bar who gave you salt and pepper. Then one time when you were at a table, someone after dropping off your food said, do you want salt and pepper? But right. then the other five nights, 
no mention of salt and pepper. So what was going on well, there? You, you start, you do start to realize like what, you know, is, were they trained to offer salt and pepper <laughs> or were, was this one, you know, server just very in love with salt and pepper and wants to make sure everyone has some, was it a personal choice? Like I wouldn't eat this meal without salt and pepper. So you want salt and pepper. You do realize like, yeah, it's like these, these personal decisions people are making, how busy, how busy it is or how things are happening. It's like, as you guys know, it's just like, you get just like kind of different vibes and different, different restaurants on different nights. And it's, you know, how are, you know, it's just, it's even the thing like, you know, the thing that kind of, I don't know if it surprised me or not. It's like, you know, the, no one in the restaurant ever seemed to catch on to what was going on. Or if they did, they didn't want to say anything about it. Like I definitely had the same hostess seat me, during multiple nights during the seven day run. And it was never like, Oh, you, you, I'm, I instinctually be like, you've been here like the past six nights in a row. Like, <laughs> uh, you know, but I, I don't know. It, it was, it was it, honestly, it's uh, one of the, um, one of them that said too, it's like, so um, it was also very weird eating alone <laughs> seven nights in a row. Uh, at, like you said, kind of a relatively hip and upmarket restaurant. It's kind of like by the end, I was definitely, over it. <laughs> oh, I bet. Like, I'm like, I don't want to come in here again anytime, anytime You're like, soon. like, this is not the life I want to live. No, yeah. it was. I was going to, even with the hostess, like seeing you, I mean, there, there are those people that are like solo big city diners that go to the same place every single day, order the same thing every single day. Right. They you know, probably so- were terrified you were a food writer or, you know. <laughs> exactly. Which I was. Which you are. <laughs> right. And you were. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that style to me really rings like Jonathan Gold, right? Mm-hmm. Because that was what he would do as a critic is he would go to a place multiple times before he like laid down his, you know, review. So well, I think, you know, it's, it's interesting because I did think about, um, after the fact in going back and interviewing them and talking to the restaurant about it. But I think that the, the thing, the reason I ended up not doing that, uh, is because that wasn't really the point, you know, in theory right. it could have happened at any restaurant anywhere, anywhere. And the fact that, um, the the fact that like you you don't know they don't know you know and, and now as a bar owner i deal with this all the time like people walk in people walk out sometimes they look happy and they're totally upset sometimes they look upset and they couldn't give they've upset because they're something else happened you know and you're always trying to read people understand people and like did they get the best experience and it's just it's all the thing is it's, it is like, like you said it's a dance there's so many moving parts with all of it and you don't know why someone's going to be happy with one thing and not happy with another, or why something might taste better or worse on one day, or or why even someone the on is, the which you know on the grill didn't like just you said like one one time the chicken came out like super soft, you know, versus like Friday was the night that it was perfect, and you're like, so you're just like it all depends like which guy likes to make soft chicken is well, on the Tuesdays. Is like, <laughs> the thing is that the chicken was so tender, I could imagine someone actually enjoying that. You know, the thing is like it's like you know it's like the old well done steak sort of thing. It's like you know it's like if someone wanted the softest chicken ever, then it's like they were would have been in fucking heaven. For I don't that, know, you know whatever, why like, Tuesday night, whatever it is. You know, but if, if soft someone, chicken Tuesday, <laughs> come you know, on in for, for me, soft chicken. For me, Tuesday. it wasn't exactly what I wanted. But also, and this is the thing too. Imagine um, if you came in on a two on whatever day it was. I'm gonna say Tuesday, and you got that super soft chicken, and then you're bragging to your friends like, "Oh my God, you go to Freeman's, they have the softest chicken on planet Earth. You're gonna, <laughs> gonna, you're gonna lose your mind. You go in there, and it tastes how it's meant to taste, which was out based on the other six nights, not that soft. And you're like, 
these people don't know what they're doing. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, it's all depends on what your original baseline standard is, you know? And it's like, the thing is like, until you've eaten there a lot of days in a row, you know, you don't know what they're, that's the thing, I guess, too, it's like, so often we go to a restaurant once or even twice and we think we know it, but unless you've eaten there a ton of times, like, you don't really know what their standard is they're trying to go for, because maybe they're just not hitting it the, the times you're totally. arriving. Absolutely. Such a great, Absolutely. such a great Groundhog's Day. Uh, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Truly. So fun. I love that. It was, a, um, it was a, yeah, it was Oh, great. I, I appreciate bringing it up because like I said, it was one of my one of the better experiences I've had in my life, especially as a journalist. Oh, it's it's so fun. Very, very, very into this article. Um, well, it'd be fun to have you on again in the future. You're so yeah. fun to talk to about, Anytime, you know, yeah. food and cider and all the goods. Um, obviously gotta figure out when we can come visit. Yes, yeah, yeah. Come do that a that whole little pandemic come- through a loop and a lot of my uh ability to travel or, you know do things like that but i mean I'm, the, I'm gearing up the great thing about uh sheffield is there's no airport nearby so we're easy to get to <laughs> <laughs> oh great well my boy my boyfriend's uh he's he's british uh his dad's from england right. okay we're about yeah, in, you know, in england then do you know southampton um right. southampton or whatever so he, uh yeah sean's dad and mom go back quite a bit so we I mean, definitely want to go soon rel- so. that's relatively far by english standards but it's closer than every other city in california is to you by american yeah, standards, exactly, so. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> fair enough um, i'm sure yeah. there's an efficient train that runs through your your yeah not Town not Village. since Boris Johnson's been charged. Oh, <laughs> that's, a that's a different discussion. The, tra- the trains are so <laughs> much less efficient. Well, let's not get into that. <laughs> All right. Well, it was so good to meet you. This is so yes. great. Thanks um, again for I, having me. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, Brooke, that's it. Uh, you know what we that's say at the end of every episode. Godspeed. And good tips, guys. And go crush some apples. Yeah. Godspeed. Awesome. Thanks, Mike Pomeranz. We'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, thank you.